Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Yet, God may use other instruments and other people praying and other people sharing the gospel with you and everything else, as he even points out. But notice that. Is that the most amazing thing that you've seen? That Jesus not only praying for his disciples presently, but now praying for all those who would believe. All those martyrs through the years that were burned at the stake, that did not renounce Jesus that did not renounce their faith, that did not allow the word of God to be burned. Jesus was praying for them back in the garden. John 17. I thank God for that when I understand that and when I realize that a little bit more. I realize that, man, it wasn't just my wife praying for me. It was also Jesus In John 17, it's an amazing truth. Notice who Jesus doesn't pray for in verse 9. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And see, it puts a spotlight on the special relationship people have with Jesus as opposed to those who would be in the world. That's, that's amazing, amazing. Now, I want to get into this because this is going to take a little bit of time. I want to ask the question, what did Jesus pray for? We saw a little bit of who did Jesus pray to. We saw who did Jesus pray for. He prayed for himself, prayed for the present disciples, and he prayed for all those who would believe down the road. But what did he pray? Because I think the content of how he prays What he prays for is so significant for us. First of all, Jesus prays that the Son would be glorified. Look at verse 1. He says, glorify your Son. Glorify your Son. Look at verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. Now, doesn't it seem just a little bit odd that Jesus, who is characterized by humility, would now Seek his own glory? We may be tempted to think, isn't this self-promotional? Wouldn't it be more appropriate for him to remain more humble? But to think that would be to misunderstand him because glory is his right. Glory is his prerogative. To be glorious, to be radiant, that is the truth about him. Glory is his eternal and real nature. Think for a moment in Daniel chapter 7 where there's a prophecy concerning the Son of Man. And this prophecy concerning the Son of Man is obviously a prophecy pointing to Jesus. That's why when he was on trials and Jesus said, you will see the Son of Man coming in glory and in the clouds. That they accused him of blasphemy. Why? Because he was pulling that out of Daniel 7, a prophecy of the Messiah. And in that prophecy, we see that the the Son of Man is presented to the Ancient of Days, the Father. 
And it says he's there in his glory, in kingdom, and dominion. When you look at Revelation chapter 1, we see that the Apostle John has this amazing vision of Jesus. And, and it says that his eyes were like fire. And, and his feet were like brandished bronze. And, and you see this glorious, glorious, glorious picture of Jesus that John paints that he sees in this vision. Because that is his nature. That is his nature. He prays in verse 5 that he would have the glory that he had with the Father before the world existed. Glory is his native element, and to be glorified is to go home from this world that rejected him, from this world that, that ridiculed him, from this world that would soon put him to death on the cross in a few hours. To be glorified is to go back home to his Father, to the glory he left at the beginning as Philippians chapter 2 says at the self-emptying that he comes down here and he puts on flesh and blood. But John still says in chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and we and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. He would be rejected. They would kill him. This whole thing of glory begins at the cross, too. It's his sacrifice. Jesus, maybe the world rejects that. The world looks for glory in other places. They look for it in man's power. The emperor of Rome, the senators, the people that ran Rome at the time, they would always say the glory of Rome, the glory of the emperor. It was so upside down for Jesus to go to the cross, and yet his glory is going to radiate there. But you know that. The world doesn't. They will miss the glory of Jesus Christ. I wonder if we long to see Jesus glorified in our own lives. I wonder if we speak enough about the work and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf to bring glory to him. I wonder if we shouldn't end our prayers differently. I know I often say, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Because the Bible says in the Gospels, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, it will be answered if it's according to the will of God. But maybe I should be closing my prayers for your glory, Jesus. For your glory, Jesus. So Jesus prays that he would be glorified, but he also prays the Father would be glorified. Verse 1 opens up for us the Lord's motive for asking to be glorified. Watch this. Glorify your Son for what reason? That the Son may glorify you. The Lord's motive for even asking for Him to be glorified is so that the Father should be glorified. And you see at the end of verse 1, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. So the request for His glory is not His ultimate goal. His further goal is that the Father should be glorified. So let me ask you a question. How then is this double glorification of the Father and the Son revealed? How is that revealed? Well, Jesus explains that in verses 2 and 3. It is not revealed in some bright shining light where you have to put on sunglasses and say, Oh, the glory of God, it's so bright. No, His glory is revealed in action, in history. 
in his saving action of men and women just like you and I. And that's what we're going to see in verses 2 and 3. Look at the end of verse 1. That the Son may glorify you. So how does that happen? And how does that come about? Look at verse 2. tells you, Jesus says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This verse can be entitled the giving verse. When I thought about this, I thought, man, how many times do we pull out John 3.16 at Christmas time and we say, yeah, you know, there's the presents under the Christmas tree and everything else and we get a gift for free and all that. But man, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But I'm going to tell you, this is a giving verse right here. This should be a Christmas passage that's preached on. I want you to see how these gifts are. There's three gifts mentioned in this verse. All three of them are intimately connected and they can become a little bit complicated, but I want want you to see this. Gift number one is that the Father gives the Son authority over all flesh. He gives the Son authority over all flesh. He says that. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, So the authority that Jesus had is derived from the Father. Now, remember, he walks this earth. He lives in submission to the Father. He's crucified, and he's resurrected. And at the Great Commission, he says, All authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. And so we see that gift number one is the Father gives the Son authority over all flesh. Gift number two is that the Son gives eternal life to who? To gift number three, which is those the Father has given to the Son. It's a rather condensed and involved verse here, but the gist of it is that the Father has given people to the Son, and for the benefit of those people, the Father has given authority to the Son so that the Son can give eternal life to those people. Man, are we not a gift It's nothing to promote ourselves with. It's nothing to be proud of. But if you're battling with self-worth today, you need to see what God thinks of you, not what other people. The authority that Jesus has is an authority that the Father has given him over all people. And what does this authority allow Jesus to do? It allows him to give eternal life to those whom the Father has given him. That is an astounding verse. You see the giving of both the Father and the Son here. You see them both giving that both of them are overly generous and overly gracious. In fact, you can't even count the depth or height. Even imagine the grace and the giving that takes place here. So encouraging because when you think about it, The Father has given you as a gift to the Son. Have you ever thought about that? That's what John's gospel does. It does stuff like this that pulls out. They say that, you know, in the gospel of John, it's so shallow that a new believer can wade through it. But it's so deep that you can swim in it in some places. And here John brings out the truth because we focus on eternal life. Jesus gives eternal life. But have you ever thought of the Father giving you to the Son? You know, on Friday I did a 
celebration of life service here for a dear woman who actually helped new creations. She was responsible for us getting the transitional housing going. She owned the apartment. She made it possible. And, you know, it's an amazing story because a friend of hers, we were chartering a bus to go to the Billy Graham event years ago in San Diego Stadium, and somebody who was one of her closest friends invited her to go. She went up to that event, and she recommitted her life to Christ at that time. So she felt she wanted to be a part of new creations. She loved what God was doing in restoring broken lives. And so she passed away, and even though you didn't know her at church here, she, was, she had cancer for a long time. But every Sunday morning, she would watch the services online. And when I preached her service on Friday, I used John 14. In fact, if you back up to John 14, this is what I use. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. What most people don't realize about that passage of Scripture, that's a Jewish wedding that he's speaking of. He's using Jewish wedding imagery to highlight his relationship with his disciples. Because in the Jewish culture, the father owned the house and the son would build rooms onto the house. And when the room was complete, the son would go get his bride and they would bring him to the father's house and they would live there. That's why that passage is so impacting. And so we see in Scripture where you and I are pictured as the bride of Christ, that Christ is the bridegroom, and you and I were pictured as that bride of the bridegroom. But I love weddings. I love doing weddings. And one of my favorite parts of the wedding ceremony is when the father gives the bride away. When just the other Day, I did Ernie and Raquel Ramos's wedding here, and, and we stood right there. Ernie stood right to the right of me. I stood right there. When the bride came in, she came right down the front. She stopped right there. I did a little intro to marriage, and then I said, Who gives this woman to be married to this man? And because her father had passed on, he said, On behalf of her father, I present her. Because that's the normal thing that the father gives the bride. No different in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2 when God creates Adam and Eve. It's God who creates Eve and it's God the father who brings Eve to Adam. And so every wedding is a reminder of that passage in John 14, but also this passage in John 17, because the Father has given you as a gift to the bridegroom, Jesus. And I guess the next question would be, what kind of gift are we, right? How many remember your wedding gifts? The day you were married, there were some of those gifts that you still have on display at the house. Like Griselle and I, they're the china cabinet, and you pull out the best stuff when it goes. So a picture, maybe. Norman Rockwell, somebody gave that to you, for, and you proudly put it on the wall. And there's those other gifts, huh? 
They never made it out of the closet. In fact, I would put before you, not only did they not make it out of the closet, they did eventually to the garage. And then from the garage to a yard sale. (laughs) But what's so beautiful about all of this is we're not that gift that's tucked into um, the closet. We're not, we're not that gift. Now, now listen to me. I'm as bad as anybody. I am sometimes a bumbling knucklehead. In fact, when I first got saved, you know what helped me remind me of that? When I would say something wrong or do something dumb, contrary to the gospel, I'm just in this learning game, right? You're learning how to be a Christian. You're trying to put God's word in practice, but you don't always succeed, do you? I'm going to wait till I get an answer. <laughs> so, so you don't always succeed. And I would mess up, and you know what I'd do? I'd close my fist and I'd do this. You know why I'd do that? Because I'm a knucklehead. See, knuckles, head. And I would do that sometimes. I'd get in the car and I'd go, oh, knucklehead. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of of all of our failures and everything else and our shortcomings and everything else, we're that gift that is precious. It is amazing. Look at verse 23 tells us that the Father loves us as he loves the Son. Isn't that amazing? So when the Father gives us to Jesus, he's giving those whom he loves as much as his unique Son, according to that verse. In Jesus' words. I don't think we relish that fact enough. I think it's too often that you focus on just your shortcomings. And you focus on your failures in life. And you don't relish in the fact who we are in Christ. And that's why most people are not living a victorious life. We don't relish enough in who we are in Christ. And that's why people fail to live a victorious life. They look at the scriptures as just a bunch of do's and don'ts rather than who they are in Jesus. Father has gifted us. So Jesus prays that the Father would be glorified. He prayed that he would be glorified. But he also prays that his disciples would be protected Look at verse 11. It says, Holy Father, keep them. Look at verse 15. Keep them from the evil one. Verse 14 says, Jesus prays the disciples would be protected. Holy Father, keep them. Verse 15, keep them from the evil one. Verse 14, he says the world hates them. There is no question that the world is becoming more dangerous for Christians, even in this country. When you look at what's happening in this country, I'm telling you, down the road and within a short distance, not way down the pike or way on the horizon, you're going to see Christians attacked and ridiculed and persecuted for their faith. And I know this to be true with firsthand experience. There was a man that I was sitting with, a pastor, when I went up to the last meeting with the Consul General of Israel, and we were at his house in Los Angeles, and there was a group of us pastors sitting there, and there was one from Central Valley, California, who shared with me that he has a thriving church, 
and as his church continued to grow, the city continued to come against him. This man was facing heavy persecution from the city itself. And he told me that the mayor was a Christian, that the mayor was a, was a friend of his, was a Christian. But when it came to the LGBTQT movement, his church stood against that. They didn't attack anyone. They didn't persecute anyone. He merely preached it from his pulpit why it didn't line up with the word of God. And they were meeting in a performing arts center. And as they're meeting in this performing arts center, the owner of the performing arts center was going to was going to sell them the building. And the city said they weren't going to give him a conditional use permit, and the city ended up buying the Performing Arts Center from the owner, and now they don't have a church home. This is becoming the norm. This is becoming the norm. So Jesus prays the disciples would be protected. Jesus prays the disciples would be sanctified. I want you to see that. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now let me tell you what sanctification is. It's got two parts to it. Sanctified, to be sanctified means to be set apart for God. That when you come to Christ, you're set apart as his holy instrument. But that doesn't stop there. God continues to sanctify us through his life, through our lives. That, that as he has given us his word, as he has given us his truth, that that is the primary means of sanctification. It is the word with the spirit. In fact, some of the biggest problems are people who just constantly are thinking in the spirit, but they never, ever know God's word. They never understand God's word. And I'm going to tell you, until you begin to understand the truth of God's word, you're not going to grow up in sanctification. You're going to become a carnal Christian. You're, you're not going to move forward. Now, do I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the gift of the word of knowledge. I believe in prophecy. I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe just as the Scriptures teach, and the Spirit is very important, but for our sanctification, it isn't going to happen aside from God's word and God's truth. It's like going to the doctor. You know, you go to the doctor and you get a full blood panel on your, your you want to see, hey, look, how's the system clicking, right? You want to know how you're doing so every now and then. When you get my age, you're going to do it every six months or so. You're going to get a, a you know, when you turn 35, <laughs> you're going to do a full blood panel. And the doctor, he comes in and he says, man, you're doing well. Your cholesterol's good. You're you know, your sugar levels are right on. Man, you're just there, man. Your triglycerides are, are perfect and everything else. And you respond to them while well, I'm putting the right stuff in. And then there's those reports that come out and say, man, your cholesterol level's high. Your triglycerides are off. Your, your sugar levels are way too high and everything else. And you say, well, it's probably all the junk food I've been all the quesadillas and enchiladas. and <laughs> That's what I tell him. I blame it on the quesadillas. And he's like, you're not going to tell me a quesadilla ran you down. <laughs> and so, so, so we have to be, why? Because our 
physical health is determined by what we put into our body. And it is the same with your spiritual health. How much junk food are you putting in as opposed to the health food of God's word? Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.